Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. Today's episode was woo, truly Amazing. interdimensional, probably the most interdimensional that we have gone. We had an opportunity to sit with the incredible Grace Wormwood, who is a holistic healer that incorporates cranial sacral therapy, energy healing, and somato emotional release, as well as her abilities to connect with higher dimensions. And it's truly, it's a mouthful and a really, really powerful episode in which we got to explore taking away the taboo and the shame and the limitations that our Western medical system model has put on non-ordinary states of consciousness, while at the same time continuing to honor what the Western medical model does offer us. So y'all, you guys just have to kind of tune in and see what we mean by all this. In this episode, we talked about the importance of calming our nervous system in order to ground ourselves to then be able to open up to these highest states of consciousness. We talked about the layered conversation and the potent conversation of creating your own reality. We talked about so much, you guys. You're going to learn so much from Grace. We really did. I'm so excited for y'all to listen to this episode. This is the longest episode that we've done. In the first hour of the episode, we're laying some really, really, really solid foundations for doing healing at the human level before we jump into the interdimensional, spiritual, extrasensory realms, which is what we really get into in the second half of the episode. So all of it is necessary. And super helpful. While I was editing this podcast, I was learning so much that I didn't even catch while we were recording it which has helped yeah. me in my own meditation sessions, helped me become more present. There is so much that we can all learn from Grace. Hopefully we can have her back another time. She is amazing. All right, you guys. With that, let's take in a deep breath. And tune in. All right, you guys, and before we start the episode, I want to introduce our sponsor, Resonate with Sarah, a digital agency that runs YouTube ads, Google ads, Facebook ads. They run organic social media and so much more, email copywriting, uh, digital copywriting, basically all of your digital needs. And I love them because they're all about using the master's tools to to basically play in this the game of this world. So they don't stray away from topics of 
creating ads on the internet and bringing in more money because a lot of people typically, especially if you're doing some kind of like spiritual work, they say, I shouldn't be asking for more money for my services. These are just my gifts. But that's not what this is about. As we learned with the podcast with Alexander James, calling in money is, it's, and money is an energetic and resonate with Sarah is completely aligned with that. And they want to align you with that. And they want to introduce you to the world and amplify you to the world and your messages and your offerings and to not shy away from bringing in boatloads of money. Because as Sarah, the CEO always says, fill my cup so I can fill up the cups of others. Mm -mm -mm. Love resonate with Sarah. Check our show notes to read more about the company and dive into their services. And with that pretty mental family, it is time to tune in. It is April 12th, 2021. We are opening up the space, calling in our guides, our angels, our ancestors, and everyone that wants to come through for the highest healing of our community members, the highest healing of everyone they come in contact with, the highest healing of the planet. We open ourselves up as pure vessels. We open ourselves up fully calling in our higher selves and tapping into the wisdom for the benefit of all of us. We are open. Grace, welcome to Pretty Mental. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. I have been looking forward to this. I'm so excited. I've really been excited about this conversation that we're going to have. So important. Oh my gosh. And the fact that you're excited too, just means that this is about to be the best conversation in the world because me and Paula have been waiting to talk to you ever since TJ told me about you. I was like, I need to talk to her yesterday. So just to kind of get our listeners acquainted with you, uh, if you could just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your journey that led you to arriving at this point. So I ended up after being a dancer and then a mom and a, a mom with um, with a special needs child on the autism spectrum and uh, actually just two really unique kids who were more intuitive than I was awake to and kind of put me on the edge of my learning. Then, then by the grace of the allness was in a car accident that um, was so bad that I stumbled into a craniosacral therapist's office desperate for some help. And that led me on the journey to being a craniosacral therapist. But as I went through that training, and part of that training is um, understanding the body and understanding the nervous system. And also uh, advanced therapists also train in emotional release work, somato-emotional release work. And uh, I think I was telling you guys, it was in that work that I started to, in my clinic, I would start to like put hands on people and I'm just kind of doing the normal body work thing. And I would start to be able to see uh, things like their past lives while I was just holding their spinal column <laughs> or, or I could see their house. Like I remember the first time I, I saw someone's house from my office, I was working on their gastrointestinal tract and I kept seeing the inside of their house 
and there was something there making them sick. And so I was able to like describe the room and where to go and having this very strange experience that I then could, you know, I ultimately kept asking my mentors a lot of questions and some they couldn't answer. And so I ended up in uh, energy medicine training in a two-year training program. And so now I'm in this beautiful place of work that synthesizes craniosacral therapy and somato-emotional release work with a lot of energy medicine work. I don't know. How was that for a little tiny capsule? <laughs> yeah, that was a great a great summary of something much greater than what could probably be even described in this one podcast. How did you... So part of my intention, as I was describing to you, um, coming into this podcast, as it often is, is to really hold a space for normalizing non-ordinary states of consciousness as being something that's not purely pathological. I've been originally, I mean, I'm licensed in the Western medical model and I practice within the Western medical model. However, I have a strong sensitivity and affinity for what traditional healing societies and traditional societies have been doing for hundreds of thousands of years before the Western medical model was even ever developed. Right? Yeah. So something like, you know, schizophrenia, which is what people might immediately think when they when they think like when they hear um, hearing voices or seeing visions, which is the only type of communication that we have around that in our society, uh, as far as the medical system goes, is anything that alludes to any of that is probably schizophrenia or psychosis of some form. Whereas in reality, it's not that simple it's not that black and white. And actually the DSM, which is the book that we use to classify different types of psychological quote, 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 unquote disorders. Mm -hmm. I say it like that because it can be very helpful, but at the same time, it's a simplification of the human experience, which they've had to do at times in order to have some order and some structure to the kind sure. of work that we're doing. Yeah, it's a simplification. And it's on the one hand, very limiting, it doesn't encompass the full range of human potential. And, you know, also, it helps to be able to, from that standpoint, to be able to identify something that needs some assistance. I'm all about giving care and assistance. I certainly needed it. You know, it's there's some blurry lines there between being highly intuitive, highly psychic and holding center, uh, you know, not having a mental, there's, there's mental health to take care of. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's still boundaries to manage in terms mm -hmm. of being able to keep your sense of self so that you can move through the world and pay your bills and all that. Right. right. Yeah. So it, it can be very helpful, right? I mean, I specialize in OCD and in anxiety and trauma. And so it can be really helpful for, for them to have created this subset of symptoms that it's like, okay, if you see all these symptoms happening together, this is probably what's happening and this is how it functions. And this is as far as we've developed, these are the treatments that people with that specific set of symptoms seem to respond really well to. So it get it helps us get to the heart of the problem quicker, but not always, especially when we're dealing with these, you know, what could be looked at as more mystical experiences or spiritual experiences, the non-ordinary states of consciousness. And that's not to say 
that, well, Stan, Stanislav Grof, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He is, he's a psychiatrist that's been in the field for 60 years and he specializes, he has specialized in really researching, speaking about and educating the masses on these different states of consciousness. And something that he does say that I think is important to also kind of note is that although there are many, many spiritual emergence experiences and non-ordinary states of consciousness experiences that have handled properly can lead us to become a fuller, more whole version of ourselves. And I'm going to say it in his words. He says, while mainstream psychiatrists generally tend to pythologize mystical states, there are also there also exists the opposite era of romanticizing and glorifying psychotic states or even worse, overlooking a serious medical problem. So it's not black and white, right? Right. That the manual makes it black and white. And boy, I really agree with that statement because it's, it's, um, I work with a lot of people. Gosh, I mean, honestly, myself included sometimes that the mystical state is, um, not grounded and we want, we don't want to eradicate it because then we're cutting off the soul part of being human but the human part of being human is that is that we have basic you know fundamental needs that need to be met to be healthy in body healthy in mind socially healthy whatever that means for the person so there's both i find very often when i'm working with someone who's who's referred to me with a mental health issue um, and, and I am not a mental health, I'm not a psychi- psychologist or psychiatrist. I'm not, I have some training in that, but I'm not uh, licensed. I'm not deeply trained. But what I look at is the energy of things. That's my job, the body and the energy of things. For me, the body's just part of the energy field. So they, they go together. Very often, th- there's very particular energy patterns happening in the body, the internal field, and the external field when there is mystical experiences, but also when there's mental health issues. Like there's some things that need care and need, you know, very often the mystical part has been, um, I mean, gosh, we all grew up being told like, stop daydreaming. And it's those early messages that say these non-three-dimensional, non-physical experiences are not what we're supposed to be doing. And so then when that side of us that is spirit-based, that is um, metaphysical, larger than physical, beyond physical, come in, we've had this socialization that says, don't do that. Don't push that out. That's There's something wrong with that. Even inherent in that thought, it begins to say that something's wrong. And I find a lot of times, a lot of uh, just by validating the spiritual nature of of people, very often, you know, some things just lift just by being validated. The person, I'm not saying everybody, I don't want to make a blanket statement here, but I have definitely had clients come in that have a diagnosis of depression or, or they're just having a hard time. They're just, they are, they're feeling lousy. And just by being validated that they are a soulful, spiritual, potentially mystical person walking on the earth. And that's 
that can be hard. Very often there's a lifting of the energy, the, the suggestions that there's pathology there. So I don't know if I'm too familiar with what craniosacral therapy is. Do you mind giving just a quick definition of it or what that looks sure. like if someone goes into your office? Yeah, sure. I'll give you both. The technical description is nothing like the experience. Technically speaking, craniosacral therapy is working with... Now, the name suggests the head and spinal column down to the sacrum, craniosacral. Uh, but actually, it's a full body therapy. And it started out with craniosteopathy. I don't know if people are familiar with that, but osteopathy is basically working with the bones to create better health for people. <laughs> Very shallow <laughs> description of that, a beautiful work. Chiropractic comes out of the same avenue osteopathy, craniosacral therapy, and chiropractic all kind of come from the same seed. But where those look more at bones, we look more at the soft tissue, and we we go internally to the cranium, internally to the spine, working on the membrane system and how the brain and nervous system are functioning. But, you know, obviously I'm describing a very narrow territory but you actually have to treat the whole body for the spine and cranium to be balanced, for the brain and spinal cord to function optimally. And those are simple words to describe it. But if you realize that's the central nervous system and where it connects to the peripheral nervous system, and the nervous system drives everything in our body. It drives our chemistry. It drives our moods, it drives our hormonal function, it drives how our muscles are doing, everything. And that's where the condition, it's not just a um, physical condition of the body. This is how craniosacral therapy then developed to include somato-emotional release. Somato means body, emotional emotions. So the emotions as they're stored in the body, the history, the historical experience, as it's living in the body, constantly affecting our present moment. You know, the body is a, an accumulation of all the experiences that we've lived. To the degree those experiences are harmonized for us, they don't cause a problem. But where those experiences are not, we haven't landed into harmony with them, then they're causing disruptions physically, neurologically, and energetically. And anything that affects us neurologically is affecting all of our other systems. Because again, we're talking about the central nervous system. It's the main governing part of our being, both physically and in all the other ways. So it's really quite extraordinary work. I do it because I love it. You can probably tell in my voice. <laughs> I do it because First of all, it saved me and my son after my car accident. It got me back on my feet. And actually, that last car accident, the reason craniosacral therapy and somato-emotional release work really helped me heal from that car accident, because I was, I was disabled, I was crawling, was that I had all this uh, emotional childhood trauma stored. And I had, by some magic, figured out to just take what was coming at me and push it in my back pockets. 
And when I was, you know, had the really severe whiplash in the car accident, whiplash is not something that hits just the neck. The entire spine goes through the whip, and very often even the hip joints experience part of the whipping of whiplash. So all that trauma that I just couldn't process as a child and as a teen and young adult, I just kept shoving in the backside of me, not consciously, just getting through life. And then the whiplash was, it just kind of kicked it all out of me. So it disabled me, but was really interesting was what was actually disabling me was all that trauma stored in the back of my body, just overstuffed, overstuffed with it. So working with, um, one thing that we work with in the in craniosacral therapy is therapists that are well, you know, we're very well trained. It's intensive training. But part of the training is to really cultivate the ability to listen to the inner wisdom of the body. The therapist listens to their own inner wisdom, but they also train extensively to tune into that inner wisdom, that innate healing mechanism that lives inside each person. It's not a mental thing, right? The body knows how to heal, but it can't always take all the steps on its own. Sometimes it needs a hand. Sometimes it needs extra energy or it needs a position that it can't get itself into and the, it needs the physical support. But the body knows, just like the body knows, if you if you get a little cut on your arm, you don't have to think that cut into healing, right? The body knows when to send in macrophages, when to shift the lymph levels, when to clean it, when to heal it. The body, a, a, a nice little clean it and put a Band-Aid on it, that's very helpful, but the body knows how to heal that thing. And that's true of everything that's going on within us. We have this innate self-healing intelligence that lives with us. So part of craniosacral therapy and somato-emotional emotional release, is it's very centered around tapping into that innate intelligence and then following it, not telling it what to do. And that's a big difference between that work. Um, that's, I would say, what makes it in the energy medicine work, even in ancient healing traditions, is tapping into that innate healing intelligence rather than what conventional medicine does is override the, the, the body and its healing mechanisms. It says, you know, you have a headache, take this. You know, medications override what the body is doing. A lot of our interventions override what the body's doing, even mental health practices override. And I'm not saying we don't need that. Sometimes we do need that. Sometimes we do need surgery or antibiotics for an infection that's on the verge of getting out of hand. But that's not health. That's, that's medical intervention. And sometimes we need that. We really do. But then we need to get back to accessing that innate self-governing, self-healing mechanism that knows how to build health. How do we do that? And how do we start accessing our own inner wisdom and settling our own nervous system and healing ourselves? It's a huge component is settling that nervous system, settling the nervous system, not putting ourselves to sleep. That's not the same thing. I think sometimes people get caught in 
calming in a way that doesn't allow the intelligence to stay awake. A dampening rather than a, which sometimes is necessary if there's enough momentum that's built up over the years. You got to dampen before you can do any work or else just because it's been going on for so long. But rather than if we could, if we could immediately early on have the types of interventions where we're really asking the questions, really asking, you know, really tapping into that emotional release, really teaching clients and, and ourselves how to work with all that energy with those emotions, how to move through them, how to surf them, then it doesn't have to get to the point where we're dampening. Yeah, because we start to build in tools, right? I mean, we definitely, sometimes we need to dampen it, but then we need to take advantage of that calm to begin to build in sense of self that builds some autonomy, that builds the ability to balance oneself, that builds the ability to make choices rather than reactions. And how to do that, yeah, is such a good question. It's not a simple, straightforward answer. No surprise there. (laughs) I think realizing the nervous system calming down, drama pops us up. So and, and when we're in drama, we're, we're not really, we're, we're in reaction. We're not in choice making, we're reacting. So anything that calms down and lets a person come back to themselves is, gonna, is part of the process. Some of that's going to be understanding more about energy. I would really like that people understand more even about their own energy anatomy, that this isn't a made up thing. There are, there are living um, structures, energetic structures that are in every body, just like every body has a skeleton, has a heart, has an organ system, has a, a blood system, right? Has capillaries all over the place, has a way to breathe in oxygen and send it out through the body. So too with energy, we have very specific biological energy structures One that's more commonly known is the meridians, right? With acupuncture, that's become a a more commonly understood idea. The chakras, the chakras play a really key role in physical health, but also social emotional health. Our chakras are constantly taking in and sending out information. And in a balanced state, they balance us. They give us a steady platform a steady container to operate from. First chakra is that I have the right to be here. And boy, a lot of us got the opposite message on that, right? Second chakra is connected to self and how I relate to one in a one-to-one relationship with significant people. At first mother, you know, one-to-one significant relationship with mother, maybe father, maybe a best friend in elementary school. That's the second chakra. That chakra doesn't even start to turn on and develop until we hit school age. Third chakra is me, the me in a group, me in tribe, me as a woman, me as an American, me as uh, whatever groups I'm in, me in a group. What are the third chakra here in the solar plexus? has to do with how does the group, what are the rules of that group? What are the rules of being an American woman that I'm supposed to be following or not following that well, or 
that and how much room is there that's all third chakra how much room is there for me to be myself in a group in my family in my school in my church as an american as a white woman as a black woman every group has its rules so that's the chakra and i find a lot of mental health when we're struggling very often that um those lower particularly second and third chakra are the chakras that are really like churning through the 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 problematic material <laughs> like it's third chakra it's probably no surprise at all that third chakra would be lit up if i'm a person who's having question about my mystical vision and is it acceptable in my family or my society and is it schizophrenia or is it hallucinate hallucinating or is it i'm a really cool psychic <laughs> right like how the group views that is going to affect me in my solar plexus chakra and it's going to, how the group views that is going to make me feel stable and accepted or unwelcome or unstable if the group doesn't receive it that causes internal instability for the person with the gift Does that makes sense how i'm saying that yeah absolutely I, actually well i was going to say as that resonates very deeply because I do hypnotherapy, um, and so a lot of it is mixed in with body sensations. And and even when I'm not doing a hypnotherapy session, I'm constantly asking my clients, where do you feel that in your body? How does it feel? And 90% of the time, if not more, it's a tightness in the chest, and then a little less often, a discomfort in the stomach. Majority, though, is a tightness in the chest. If there is that third chakra message that I'm not being accepted, that this isn't okay, it triggers on a very, it can be very subtle or it can be more overt, but I think most people don't notice this little switch happened. If I'm very subtly or not so subtly getting the message that I'm not accepted as I am with whether, whatever gifts and challenges I have, I'm going to receive it in the third chakra, but it's going to cause me my it's it, the the chakra literally lives right next to the spinal column. The the energy, the message, the vibration when I'm saying energy, what I'm meaning by that is the vibrational information, frequencies. Literally sine waves coming in saying we don't know about you. We don't know about this thing you're talking about. You're too sensitive. My goodness, how many of us hear that one? You're too sensitive. Those words are made out of sound waves, right? Yeah. So is the energy behind those words coming in on waves, wave, literal wavelengths. Yeah, absolutely. Even even if we take it down to the new, what's going on at the um, neurological level, um, it's electrical impulses that set off the release of uh, chemical neurotransmitters in the brain. So everything really, it really, really, really does start out as energy. Who knows where the electrical impulses are coming from, but that's what sets everything off. <laughs> so it's amazingly hard to get that thought to completely land. Everything, everything starts out as energy. There isn't anything that exists that isn't pure energy. 
in come the sound waves and 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 in also come the the vibrations of the intention the message yes sound waves come into our ears but sound waves also come into our pores our bones our bones vibrate like flutes so this vibrational information is coming in the third chakra in particular is the one tr- that's translating the information that has to do with, uh-oh, how am I doing in this group? Oh, I'm not doing well. I'm not being received. And on a very survival instinctive level, that's going to go into the spinal column. It's going to go up through the, through the spinal nerves and to the retricular alarm system, fight, flight, or freeze. Most of the time we freeze. Just a tiny bit, not in a very noticeable way, but exactly the way you're describing, Paula. Our breath is the first thing that freezes. We catch our breath a tiny bit. We kind of go, uh-oh, and the body tightens. And it becomes so habituated, we don't even notice it anymore. So do we have the ability to heal? And I know the answer is yes, but I, it's still <laughs> like the ability to really heal ourselves with our energy and in our thinking, because when I, I think about my own journey and I've talked a little bit about it on the podcast, my own health journey, I'm just like, what is going on inside of me? I really don't even know. I like envision myself. I meditate healing myself. And I've actually had some like pretty wild experiences with that. And I'm currently going to an acupuncturist. So I was, my ears perked up when you said that um, the meridians, because I actually don't really know that much about acupuncture, but I'm I'm, I'm going to one right now. And how do we also heal ourselves while, yes, we're going to eat healthy. Yes, we're seeing all the right doctors. Yes. But ultimately, it does come back to us, right? It does. Okay. I'm going to give you my educated answer <laughs> on this day. This is, this is my, this is where I'm at with this question right now. I do believe we, we have the self-healing capacity, but it is not a mental thing. It includes the mind, but it also includes the body's own intelligence, the body's own knowledge about balancing itself, which in medical terms is called homeostasis, homeostasis. The body knows the optimal range to to be in. And it knows that for every single thing about being in a body. It knows what the homeostasis range is for everything there is about being in a body. So it's going to include the mind, the consciousness. It's going to include the body. It's going to include the emotional system and not being in drama. When we're in drama, we're not in our bodies. We're in, we've energetically left the body. So part of self yeah, can you explain that a little bit? Oh my I'm god. I'm there. What do you mean by that? How do you <laughs> elaborate? When we're, in, when we're in drama, we've left the body. Well, let me give you an example. Um, take a minute right now and think about driving. The whatever dr- drive you just made today. Just take a minute to think about it. Now notice, are you in the car or are you in your body? Your body's here, you can feel it, but where are you? Well, as I think about it, I'm visualizing the car. So you're in the car. Mentally. Yeah, energetically, your energy follows where your thoughts go. But I can still feel my body at the same time. 
Yeah, the body's a living dynamic thing, but that's not being all the way in it. So now, just to play with the game, let the car go. Let everything that happened before this minute go behind you, like it's in the past. Let it go. And everything that's ever going to happen from this minute forward, let it go forward. And now to take it one further, imagine that you can just pour yourself into your bones. Pour yourself into your bone. Pour yourself into your shoulders and ribs. Pour down the spine. Pour all the way down your spine. Pour into those nice, sturdy hip bones. And then into the long leg bones. Like you're made of honey and you're pouring your honey all the way down your arms, legs, into your pelvis, into your legs, into your knees, into your ankles, into your feet. And now feel yourself. And maybe it doesn't feel different, but notice if it feels, now what do you feel? I feel more, I feel more embodied. I feel more solid. I feel more embodied. Yeah. I feel like a mass. And I feel like, a, yeah, super calm. Mm-hmm. It calms everything, right? Drama pops us up and out. Presence is coming in and occupying all the cells. Occupying Ooh. So is it like if we're with our body, really with it, as right. often as often as possible, our body and our spirit can communicate for uh, for ultimate healing? Yeah. Before, when you were in the car, but you're like, but I can still feel my body. Can you feel how it's almost like we're very good at remote, like checking in on the body going, yeah, yeah, it's there and I can feel it. But it's different than actually sitting into it and sitting into every single cell. And when you do that, then there's the calm comes with it. I'm not asleep, I'm just calm. I heard a teacher recently say, the thing, one of the things we're learning right now is how to be in with a calm nervous system and a relaxed mind and not asleep. That we've, we live in a society that's taught us when we're awake, we should be up and out and busy and doing things and doing and doing and doing so that we've forgotten that we can also just, this teacher was saying, so what we do is the only time we're in and then our nervous system goes, oh, it's sleep time now. We only do this when I'm in bed. <laughs> we only relax when it's time to go to bed. So sleep. So that what we're, what our nervous system, when we do, this is why meditation is so helpful. It's retraining the ability to be in and to be present in a calm, relaxed nervous system that's not asleep. Because then cool stuff happens next. <laughs> What's the cool stuff? Tell cool me the stuff. cool stuff. <laughs> where I, my mouth waters. <laughs> Lots of cool stuff. I mean, you know, that's when we, we can have interesting, you know, Alice in Wonderland experiences with our meditations. But also, that's, that's what it takes, I believe. That's what it takes to self-heal. If we're going to self-heal, we have to be home. We can't self-heal remotely. We have to pour in, pour in, be present, because that brings the energy that's needed for the self-healing to the place it's needed. Does that make sense? I have a question in terms of trauma that is so Mm. intense that we block it out literally have no idea that it ever happened, but it is still stored in our body. And when that happens, of course, it's going to affect us in the now because it's still stored in our body. So how do we even begin to 
to even heal ourselves from what we don't even know is stored in our body. I'm pausing. You're hearing me pause because I'm asking my own inner wisdom. That was my story. I had complete childhood amnesia to what I had experienced. And I had a very fractured personality, but I was very together, <laughs> very competent at holding everything together. Boy, there's a lot to healing trauma. I think, first of all, it's important to understand that it's in there. It isn't true when people say, well, that was just in the past. You should just get over it. That's not true. That's not how that works. When we experience trauma, there's a separation from self that happens. I would actually argue this is the most important, the most significant thing that happens. The violence is awful or the neglect or whatever it was. Really, I mean, horrible, right? But in the quiet underneath, what's happened is something that's happening to us has caused us to separate some degree from ourselves. I'm too small. I'm too weak. I, I can't survive this. So energetically speaking, again, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not speaking from that angle. Energetically, what's happening when we are able to find some piece of trauma we're reclaiming a piece of ourselves back. We're bringing it back home to ourselves. You know, maybe we're finding that child self that went through something and we're bringing her back into the safety of the adult self. I know there's different schools of psychology that work with this, but there's, it's also an energetic thing. We're literally, we literally leave pieces of our energy any place where we've split from ourselves. So we're, we're, and that's a piece of our inherent life force. And there's a part of the body I've noticed as a body worker, there's a part of the body. You probably have seen this too, Paula. There's a part of the body that remembers it's, it's like that part of the body has the little post-it note or the little reminder that I've left a piece of me, you know, tap here, touch here, and we'll, I'll tell you where it is. I, I, the body keeps the score, right? There's a book out called The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. It's so very, I, it's an important book in our so field. Good. Yeah. So what I've noticed is, number one, there's pieces. We've left little pieces of ourselves like Easter eggs from trauma. It doesn't even have to be big trauma, right? I mean- we, the world's pretty traumatizing right now. We, we, there's a lot to growing up in America and, and other places. So we leave these pieces of ourselves in the, you know, all the places that startle us and cause us to split a little piece of ourselves off. And the body and the energy field, again, they're two things. They're right there together. The body and the energy field have little notes inside that know that like give directions where to go look this little part of my lung that that doesn't breathe well this little frozen rib or this frozen shoulder the body the body has an intelligence that knows what that connects to where i need to go back and reclaim that piece of me that i left in a moment of trauma it's miraculous, isn't it? It's extraordinary. How? I mean, to be frank, I don't, I work with IFS, internal family system. So I work in parts yeah. and we do bring in the body. Actually, 
it's it is interesting what what we do say is you know where do you feel this in your body okay go there speak from that place and we do <laughs> arrive at a lot of answers is a different mm -hmm. framework though rather than what you're speaking about in terms of like there that is where a piece of you fractured although essentially it's kind of saying the same thing but also like what you are describing is also um been talked about for centuries and thousands of years in, in shamanic traditions as a soul retrieval exactly yep soul retrieval yeah which sounds all woo wooey but <laughs> but what i would say is uh we are a coalesced piece of energy like if you if you if a person doesn't want to hear it in a woo wooey way as soul retrieval we are we are a quantum collection i'm talking about you know me as a as a body and a human and a consciousness you as a body and a human and a consciousness you are a collected little congregate of energy and pieces of you have fragmented off and so in in the way that you work with it how do you go to that body part and get that piece to come back i want my pieces back <laughs> <laughs> i know right <laughs> So in in our body work, we I suspect we sort of do it the reverse of what you do. We as, as craniosacral therapists, it starts out nonverbal. It starts out by reading the body and the body's holding patterns. I won't get too technical about that, but uh, there's plenty of science that I could <laughs> blah 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 about. Um, but basically, there's ways to feel where the body is holding and. What we do, let me, I, I get, maybe it would help if I sort of do it as an example. Let me, let me, let, let's say that. In fact, this kind of goes back to the, the earlier question of what's it like in the office. <laughs> so, so we do our work fully clothed. Generally people lay on a treatment table on a, like a massage table, you know, so they're comfortable and they've got a blanket if they need it. Um, and then we have places through the skeletal system that we, uh, assessed by just through palpation, just by gently holding, like I, I, me, myself, I generally start at the feet and I'll just hold, I'll just cradle the feet. And what I'm feeling from there is I'm feeling both the physical movement of the feet, the legs, the bones in the legs, all the way up to the hips. Now I'm a, I've been doing this for close to 20 years. So I actually can from the feet, I can feel if there's, you know, a kidney is pulling or if if it's over in the shoulders or what part of the brain. There's a way to just feel it. We call it arcing. But, but very mechanically speaking, you can feel where the bones are moving and when they're, there's a, there's a smooth movement that's always happening in the body. It's got this very particular, we call it the craniosacral rhythm, and it's got this constant rhythm that it makes it, the bones roll out when the, when the system is filling and the bones roll in when the system is emptying. And so ideally, if everything was, was balanced and in a great state, all the bones, all the organs would be making that motion as the craniosacral system fills everything would roll outward to make space for it. And as it drained, we're talking about cerebrospinal fluid draining as it drains, 
the water balloons getting smaller and all the bones and organs, everything's rolling inward with that motion. So it's this constant in and out. Where there is an injury or a holding pattern, like maybe someone's back to that idea of someone is nervous and so they're not breathing as fully as they might, you can feel it because the body mechanically is not going through that motion, that filling and emptying motion smoothly. So I might be going up the body and I'm like, oh, everything's moving fine at the ankles. Everything's moving fine at the knees. I get to one of the hip bones. One of the hips is a little ratchety. So I'm always, I feel like I'm a detective. So I'm always like, okay, write that on the invisible whiteboard, <laughs> something in, something about the hip and then going up. All right. Ribs move fine. I get to the shoulders. One of the shoulders is not, is moving in an odd way. So these are little clues that the body is um, holding something. And again, everything's energy. So there's going to be the energy component. So how we start then is I will, you know, figure out where to begin with, with the body and then come in very gently and unimposing, connecting. Again, my inner wisdom, I want to be led by that person's inner wisdom. That person's healing intelligence gets to run the show. So we don't just, we don't go like, I wouldn't go, oh, something's wrong with the right hip. So let me fix it. Because the minute I decide it needs fixing, I've already taken over the session. I'm already telling that body, it should be better than it is. Instead of asking its inner intelligence, what do you want? What's happening here? What do you need? Because it's a closed system and that internal intelligence that we all have knows everything going on inside, mind, body, heart, spirit, it knows all of those things. It's going to lead me to where I need to begin. And then we have something that we call a significance detector. When you get in the right spot, when you get to the right spot, there is this lovely thing that happens. Everything kind of goes shh, quiet, because all the rhythms stop moving. Everything goes into this like poised feeling. The body is literally mechanically doing this. With palpation, I can even, I can read that. That's the place then for somato emotional release work that we would then say, well, you know, hi, what are you noticing? In a spa voice, <laughs> what, what are you noticing? And helping the person, when the, when the body goes into that significance detector, what also happens is the neurotransmitters change and we go into an altered state of being. There's a deepening, there's a quieting. People often remark later that they're surprised at how quiet and calm, but alert they feel. And somewhat, even as I'm describing it, can you feel it's happening between the three of us? Mm -hmm. that yes. And this is making me think like if we, you know, it's making me realize if we wanted to do this at home, obviously we could never do the, what you do in your office at home. But if there was like a little bit that we could do at home, what it sounds like to me is just to get really, really still with ourselves. And, and again, yeah. allow our, our bodies to pour over our bones like honey, yeah. like you said earlier, yeah. get still enough to see what intelligence comes up, comes up to us to tell us like what, what it is that that body part or that a certain, you know, what our body is asking for at that moment or what our spirit needs. 
and having the mind listen instead of hunting or trying to make meaning out of it. Having the mind, the mind is great at listening, at recording data, at putting experience into words. I find the part of the mind that gets in the way of that deepening is the analytical mind. I'm going to describe the mind as having two parts, the analytical mind and the experiential mind. When we stay in the analytical mind, we're not, we're all up here in our heads. We're not actually existing in our bodies. I mean, even as I'm saying it, can you feel that? Like all the energy has kind of gone into the head. So now shift into, just invite, you don't even have to know what it means. Invite that you be in the experiential mind and you feel that honey effect starts to happen again. To be in the experiential mind, we have to be occupying the whole sensory system. If I'm experiencing, I have to live in my body. I, if I'm experiencing, I've got to be where the sensory neurons are, which is in the body. And the bones. I also have to be in the bones because, again, they vibrate like flutes. <laughs> so they're part of the information. So that one act of just pouring, taking that, I love to say it like that you that is you, taking that you that is you and pouring it like honey into the body, pouring it down the skeleton, pour it down the spine, pour it into the hips. Pour it down the legs, pour it into the knees, pour it down the lower legs, pour it through the ankles and the feet, pour it through the shoulders into the arms. It's almost like we get more full, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Such an interesting, and that's, that brings us into experiencing. And here's where we need some help. When we've been traumatized, that trauma was an experience. So to pour in very often, it might feel good at first, and then we bump into the trauma, which makes us want to pop back out. Or we start to try and pour in, and we immediately bump into the trauma, and then we want to pop back out. And so so my second thing about self-healing is there's a reason we're born into a tribe. It's a modern American idea that we're supposed to be able to do everything alone. And that's just not true. That's not how we're built. We're social beings with all the pros and cons of that. It also means that it's, it's why we're born into a tribe. So it's why we need to find help when we need help. I right? agree with that. I agree with that entirely. Because even the concept for me of creating our own realities, I think if people have gone through traumas or... Uh, really challenging circumstances that fractured their sense of self, they're not going to, it's not going to be very possible to tap into the kind of personal power to have mastery over your energy body or to create your own reality in that way. And that's when we need each other mm -hmm. to come yeah. in and help us see our power, see our beauty, see that it's safe to be who you are through a held space with yeah. people that you feel safe with. Yeah. And then as you do, it's 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 just interesting. We are social beings, you know, as we feel that love from others, as we feel that connection, it opens up a space for us to be able to trust our sense of self enough that we can then start tapping into our power and the possibility that we do create. But that can't just come out of of willpower. 
No, no. At first, if it comes to the degree it could come out of willpower, it would still be in survival, not this creation of our reality. It's not, that's not a, that's not an ego. That doesn't happen at an ego level. In order to get to that ability to create reality, we first have to do the work. Now we're getting into a pretty high topic. <laughs> we first have to do the work to transcend. We have to have the tools and the skills. We have to cultivate the ability we that we can, because life still brings everything life brings, right? So when we get to a place where life is able to bring whatever life's going to bring, and we have the ability to transcend into this creative, creating life, we're at it. We're operating at quite a high level. I'm not saying we can't get there because I believe we can, but there's steps. It doesn't happen. There's steps and they're not all mental. Some of them are emotional and some of them are in even in the body. Like you can't feel your, a lot of people with trauma lock up in the back of the neck, which is you know, for anyone who's familiar with, with the anatomy there, the base of the brain right there, there's proprioception, which is the spot of the part of the brain that feels our body. <laughs> so if we're locked up right there, we can't feel, we can't feel, we literally can't feel. It's numbed. It's, it's the volumes turned down um, by that flinch response. So, you know, there's even mechanical, like unflinching and having the courage to meet life without flinching in the back of the neck. Like there's, it's a process, there's components to it. And I really like what you said, like we need each other to create safety and to be shown our beauty and allowed our beauty. And we need each other, you know, we help each other learn how to, I help clients all the time create better safety in their house, you know, create better safety. Sometimes I'm, I'm recommending somebody go through, uh, like, um, compassionate communication training because there's sort of a social disrespect going on in the house that's making everyone shrink and tense. And right. So there's just like, there's components to layer back in. Yes. Let's not, yeah. Because I've, you know, I, I'm in a place where I find the notion that we create our own reality and like how often that near, how much that's said, I, I personally find it problematic. I do too. I, I, because I, I feel, so what I, what I sense into, you know, the more that I deeply get into all of this is that we co-create. It's a co-creation. Because life is contributing a piece of yeah. it. Anyone I live with is is contributing a piece of it. And when I say that I find it problematic, what I mean is I think that there are misuses of that idea and it becomes one more way that a lot of people beat themselves up or hold themselves to something that feels unachievable. I feel like I personally am starting to arrive at that level of transcendence where I'm riding, I'm sort of like riding the waves of whatever life's br life brings. I'm starting to see as a, a spirit and as a human how to work inside 
with my own human responses, how to keep what I'm finding that's giving me transcendence so that I am more co-creative is that I'm finding I can reframe, I can use, I, I can get not stuck into a tight reaction to something. I certainly react, but I'm finding my ability to then I, I react and then I pull myself back into my body, into my bones, open my perspective, uh, like opening my field of vision so that I can take in a, a bigger context, including, I'm going to get a little spiritual here, but including human level to the big picture level to go, okay, like this is really triggering me at a human level right here. And while I sit here feeling triggered, I also want to know I'm opening up to know what's the bigger picture. Like maybe this is awful in a moment, but it's giving me something in the bigger span of my life or in this bigger span of humanity. You know, maybe by me going through this, I then have something that I'm able to contribute to other people. You know, I'll get through this situation and then I'll turn around and I'll hand off the goods to some people that need it. And that ability to, I call it scaling up, <laughs> to be in the human moment and simultaneously scale up is giving me a way to still be experiencing life. But what I'm finding is it's letting me to make choices rather than just react. I would love to speak on, add on to that by also speaking to the fact, the creating your own reality. I don't yeah. agree that I personally don't agree that it's entirely pro problematic because I, like you, see myself from the soul perspective as often mm -hmm. as I can throughout the day. I'm often looking, half my brain is soul perspective, half my brain is I'm operating as a human here on earth. And I really have seen the power in creating my own reality. And part of that is when situations happen and I'm being triggered you know, I could either live in this reality that is kind of hellish by opening myself up and reacting and bringing that experience all the way in or bringing myself out from a soul perspective, surrendering to what is happening and allowing multiple possibilities to pan out. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and you start creating a certain heaven on earth. You start yes. creating heaven on earth when yeah. you, and it's been my experience, when I walk around very... I am Valentina, but the more days and seconds and you know that pass by, I my attachment to my identity is not here. It's not. I love mm -hmm. Valentina and I love her for carrying me through this journey. But I I am existing. People can't see the this on video. Um, they'll hear this only on audio. But I'm, I'm putting my hands like a foot away from me above saying like, I exist here constantly looking at everything that's happening and seeing this is such a layered conversation. It's so layered. So it can't, it's not so black and white, but we really do create the experiences that we go through. We really do. We really do. Not all of them, you know, some, and, and by how we react to also what's in front of us. So I'm not saying I, part of me actually does think that when I get into car accidents or things like that, it's because I, I check myself. What, why am I in this energy field? But at the same time, I also look at it like 
I just open myself up to not reacting and what are the other possibilities that what, what timeline do I want to jump on? If that, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I feel like I, I, you said it so eloquently and I, I feel like it's the same. We're, we're saying the same thing. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I think at the level that, you know, I mean, some of us have achieved this level where this term makes sense. Mm-hmm. And there's different levels, and I'm not saying higher or lower, I'm just saying there's different places where it just seems like more that I'm not going to be able to do. And and that's where I find it problematic. Like sometimes, sometimes it's used to, oh, you know, I just, I just wouldn't want anyone to feel shame or guilt or regret. Or victimized by that. If it doesn't make sense, let it go. If it doesn't make sense, let it go. I said it's too triggering to to take in. I I just one hundred percent yeah take in what you want at all times on all of our episodes and drop yeah. what you don't want. And but- sometimes and sometimes we are saying the same thing in different ways and maybe not even realizing it. But so I see it the the reason I see it as a co creation is because even if you are choosing your response and creating from that place, what you are responding to. I feel like it's a way bigger dance than each of us individually. So, and then the way that you want to dance with that dance is what I believe we can choose. But the dance itself, I I do believe is bigger than any single one of us. This just goes so back to everything is energy because I can take a concrete example the other day. I won't say this person's name because I, you know, their privacy, but I actually got in an argument with someone the other day and I felt myself, I can always feel now when I'm being, I'm opening myself up to react and I'm being mm-hmm. triggered I, in my body. I'm all, I get back in my body and I'm like, mm, I'm going to start co-creating something that I don't want to, that, that it's not going to be very pleasant for me, you know, new timeline. Mm-hmm. So in the middle of this, this argument, I, I really, from the soul perspective, start seeing what's happening, start seeing why, why, why did this trigger come about? What energy am I bringing? What energy are we co-creating and how can I surrender deeply to what's happening? How can I learn from what's happening? How can I observe what's happening? And I, in the past, I would have reacted in a way that we would have carried that argument on. And I would have felt the the tense in my body for a few days or, you know, mm-hmm. but I surrendered fully to what was happening. And I, there, there's just something really, and I'm being very literal when I say the term magical, the ter- there's something very magical that happens. And you're literally creating your reality when you can surrender to a moment and take full responsibility for that moment and invite best case scenarios to come through. And what ended up happening at the end of the argument was literally the best case scenario I could have ever predicted. It gets trippy. It really gets trippy when you start viewing everything as energy and start viewing everything from the soul perspective and start observing everything and not reacting to it. And really seeing that we are so much greater than literally than what we think is in front of us. We can reroute our life at any second. Yeah, that's that that's part of it, isn't it? It's really breaking this um the mind limitations to realize the moment the moment that is happening is so multi-layered and so much bigger, and there are things happening at levels seen and perceived and at levels, you know, it may take me 20 years before I look back on this moment and go, oh, that's what that was about. 
Yeah. And I want to be clear for, for listeners, like we're not talking about surrender in the moment where something abusive is happening. Where if, if something abusive is happening, get out of the abuse. I, yes. I think get, yes, get, you know, that's not a learning moment. Nobody learns when they're being abused. So if it's that situation, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Where you, where you have, where you have choice, where you have some autonomy, where you get to, you know, where you're, you're still respected. Well, right. that's, so you know, but have your boundaries very that's, clear. That's where this conversation gets really, really layered because a lot of yes. people in our planet are in abusive situations and systemic abusive situations and childhood abusive situations. The world was already created. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they so can learn how to react. They can learn how to respond in a way that's going to minimize the amount of impact and possibly set them in a course to freedom and to transcending that situation. Mm-hmm. But transcendence for one person is not going to look the same as transcendence for another person. If I'm yeah. living within a relatively free world in the United States within a relatively healthy community, I can transcend a situation and possibly live an extremely abundant life. If yeah. I am a minority in the federal prison system that's being abused and I learn to transcend that situation, the kind of potentiality that I have to co-create to creating my reality within that is going to look different. Not every situation you have the option, a person has the option to change the situation. So really what we're talking about really throughout this whole conversation is it's the inside job, the inside, the inside part. Even yes. if I'm in prison, even if I'm in yeah. a, then the prison a, can an abusive situation, I can still take the moments that I can take to begin to, it goes back to reclaiming the energy. If I'm having the experience that I don't have control, there's going to be some little crumb of energy that I can still call home. I bring, I mean, bring back home to me. There's, even if I can't immediately change the setting that I'm in. Yes. And I can the, yeah. still take a moment before bed and pour myself back into my bones. I can still know that there's an analytical mind and there's an experiential mind. I can still know when I'm in a heightened state that there's power to dropping my energy down. And these are all learned things. So, you know, I love that we're, we're, we're doing this podcast it, it I love what you guys are doing to get this knowledge out we need to share this knowledge even in bad situations if there's an understanding if we have an understanding that I'm operating I'm a multi-leveled being I've got a mind that's operating I've got an emotional system that's operating I've got a physical system that's operating I've got a chemical system that's operating and I have a little bit of say so in whether I'm operating in the smallest way or the most full way I can access in this moment. Yes. And so that's where context comes into play, right? That's why, I mean, that's just, and as far as any of us understand, as we talk about it, we may feel very 
attached to our interpretation of the situation. And then at the end of the day, probably none of us really fully know what's going on because this is so much bigger <laughs> than what the rational mind can comprehend. But for me, right, like the co-creation thing, I don't know how to, I can't get beyond that for me without stigmatizing certain populations. Yeah. I always like to just go to the question of what can I do with this moment? Sometimes a lot, sometimes not very much at all. Sometimes all I can do in this moment is take one more deeper breath, but that's huge. That's right. a huge, and that's, I hope people hear that, that that's actually huge because we we're taught that little things like that don't matter, but little things like that matter infinitely in the energy system. If I can, what can I do with this moment? If I can do something big, great. If all I can do is take one deep, one more breath and take it a little deeper, I've changed something. Absolutely. I've reclaimed part of me. I've reclaimed part of my reality. Right. I've reclaimed part of myself. I've re I've stepped in because so much of what goes into what I believe creating your own reality is not what can I fix on the outside. It's one hundred percent. How can I get back into my own energy? And how can I reclaim my own energy? And of course, it's in different contexts. It's going to be different. It's going to be harder for different people, but it's not impossible. You know, we are energetic beings. No one can take your energy from you. Yeah, I do. I get that. I get that from that angle that it, the real, it's the reality that you're experiencing within yourself. Because I just think that when we hear that, you know, with the secret and with all these things, it's like it's all about that you create your own reality by what's going on outside of you. Something about that just doesn't align for me. To, I think you have to get to a certain level. It's a, when you're in a non when you're in a state where you can't be in cohesion with yourself, you're you're not in the creative zone. It can take learning and practicing and 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 doing different things to get enough self back to even call self a creator. And this goes back to what we said in our last podcast, and we even said this a little bit with you, Grace, is that like creating your own reality when you're in survival mode and you're being abused and you're, it's, what even is that? That's not even going to make not sense. You can't, it's, not a, yeah. it's not a thing. You can't go from A to Z like that. If I am in a situation that is extremely toxic and I'm being uh, oppressed and I am being abused and someone's telling me to create my own reality, what even is that? Right. right. So I feel like that's just rude. It's a rude thing. Right. It's, 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 it's ignorant. Right. Like I, I, from that angle, absolutely. I, right. That's not going to happen, but it starts with doing that human work, doing that, that safety work, putting yourself in a safe environment, putting yourself in learning what boundaries are, learning what all these like tactical things are. And that in itself is you're reclaiming your own energy. And then soon you can get to a place of like, okay, these people have taken my power away from me before I even knew that I could put boundaries up. What can I do to get back into my own body and remember that I am a creator of my own peace and remember that I am a creator of what I want to see in front of me. So it's not, it doesn't happen from A to Z. Like there, there are layers, there are levels to this and not, again, not on a hierarchical, like this, just there are steps. What keeps coming up for me is uh, the Viktor Frankl uh, book, Man's yeah. Search for Meaning, where 
in the concentration camps. He's a psychologist and he was in the concentration camps. And he saw that even when people had no right to anything, it was the one that had the highest, the ones that had the highest chances of survival were the ones that were intentionally like choosing their responses. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so that is the final freedoms. It's like, that's the ultimate version of creating I mean, yeah, it's creating the inner peace within ourselves so that we can keep our center no matter what's going on outside of us. Look at Nelson Mandela. Like yeah. it's the same with that story. It's like you can take my freedom. You can take my everything you can take on the external. But what is there left for me, which at the end of it is the ultimate thing that everyone in this life wants to master is their inner peace. And then mm-hmm. as we learn to do that, then yeah, then I guess then over time, not in a forced way, which is great. I think that's what you were saying, that there's so many layers to that notion of creating. Just over time, the universe and life can shift in such a way that you're creating some massive shifts at the physical level. Yeah. And it really, it really, I know this sounds small, but it really I can't stress enough. It really starts with just this one moment, this one moment. What can I do with it? Because that accumulates. It not only accumulates, it magnetizes. If, I, if I'm staying in the, the disempowered, everything has my power and I'm just a victim to all of this, the, it never starts the reclaiming of, you know, bringing, bringing back our power to our to us. If all we do in a moment that's awful is say, well, what can I do? I can't change this. I can't change that. I can't change those people. I can't change the system. But what can I do? That turns the magnetism in another direction and it starts to accumulate. If I can do that this moment and I do it again tomorrow and then I get it, do it again the next day, it starts to build a momentum. It starts to build more power internally. It starts to change my response to the environmental factors. And we know from quantum science, when you change your how you're looking at something, how a scientist looks at the experiment changes the experiment, right? So how I'm looking at things begins to change how those things are coming at me. So it starts to steer the ship <laughs> yeah. in a new direction that honestly accumulates more and more of that thing that I'm seeking. I'm seeking to be able to have the power to make something be different for me, for my children, for people I love, for my community. Yeah. yeah. It's like there that quote go. that's like when I change the way I'm looking at things, the things that you look at change. I, yeah, it's yeah, real. It's real. And I say this it's with real. such, you know, I've experienced this myself. I've gotten myself out of the darkness. I've We've heard on the last podcast with Sister Cody, it's like when you start having a different kind of relationship with the external world and your internal world, it, things just shift yeah. in unexplainable ways. And Grace, yeah. before we say bye because it's already probably like one of the longest podcasts we've ever done and we can't even help it because this is a really powerful conversation i don't want to drop it um can you tell us in our listeners kind of like take us into your connection with the extrasensory world um with the guides with the 
you know, multidimensional energies that we don't have access to through our regular senses, you know, just take us a little bit into that, what your journey has been with that and integrating that into daily living. Okay. And if the Akashic Masters have anything to say, we are open. <laughs> okay. Let's see, my personal journey. Well, you know, along the lines of, boy, there's multiple points that I could <laughs> I could bring into connection because for me, it, it relates to, for me, it relates to everything about life. When we talk about opening perspective from being so sharply focused and surviving a moment and that, and, and when we're trying to survive a moment, the part of the brain that shows up is the analytical mind going to pick this thing apart and figure out how to get through it. Right. And it shuts off the experiential mind. You know, I mentioned earlier, like I, I, I had childhood amnesia. I had a very challenging childhood, some pretty significant neglect and some pretty significant abuse within the family and from outside the family. So I was definitely in survival mode when I hit early adulthood and very successful, successfully surviving, but it was crushing me. And then I got into that car accident, which not only like really ripped my body apart, but it also caused a, a break and all this stuff started to spill out. And part of what cracked open in my healing, in order to heal, I had to start asking my body and my internal intelligence what it knew, you know, what was there, what's here, what's here that needs to be known. Listeners, I'm like gesturing to my body. <laughs> I'm patting my chest and my shoulders. What's here to be that needs help and needs to be known and needs to be healed or given room or allowed to breathe, for heaven's sakes? What needs to be allowed to breathe? And it started me opening from the smallness of the experience of being traumatized and stuck and in pain. And it began to open my perceptual lens to the bigger context of the moment, like I was talking about before, opening to there's this moment, but this moment is multi-layered. I'm a multi-layered being. There's a bigger picture. And so I started to open to that. And that's when I bumped into, that's when I bumped into non-physical beings, <laughs> angels, and um, all kinds of, all kinds of consciousnesses who um, were present to help who are present to help. Now, now I, th this is 20 years ago. Now I've had lots of practice working with what people, you know, often refer to as guides or angels or ascended masters or earth helpers. And what does that mean? To me, that means my experience of this is that we all walk around with a team of guides who are not imaginary friends. They are interdimensional beings. They are part of the same soul line that I'm a part of, the same soul group. I'm the earth walker of my particular, sometimes it's called a spiritual family. I might be the, the earth walker or one of the earth walkers of my particular soul group, but I've got the help from the group. Why? Because I'm more than human. 
because I'm I'm big I'm more than what I was brought up to think I was. I'm here a spirit incarnate, right? An, an infinite being of light having a human experience in a very interesting time on the planet and for a reason, which is probably a whole nother topic of conversation, you know, here to fulfill something personal and contribute something to the collective on earth. So doesn't it serve everybody if I remember as quickly as possible that I'm a spirit in an incarnation here to contribute, here to bring the goodness, whatever flavor of goodness I have to contribute. So that's where I, to me, then it's only spiritually logical that I would, that each of us would come with non-physical assistance because they know we're going to forget, because they know it's chaotic here, because because everything's done in a tribe and it helps to know your tribe mates. So that became, to me, that became fascinating work. For a long time, I kept it to myself because of the stigma and because of how easy it is to call extrasensory perception schizophrenia or delusional or hallucinating or whatever. To me, there's a very, there is territory between the two that's that can be muddy and it's useful to do the personal work to clarify it to me the difference is and actually this is funny so when, when we were first getting on i said the guides are having me write something down so this is what they wanted me to write down that the difference between being lost in a mental health disclaim right just being lost i mean We've been talking about energy and energy of self. And what I see is the energy of self is literally, un, uh, it's, it's kind of um, not lost, but like mixed up in the cloud. So energetically, when I'm working with mental health, part of it is to like scoop, you know, scoop through the cloud and get the parts that are native soul energy back coalesced in with the body where it's supposed to be. So that line between being intuitive and perceptive of non-physical reality between that and and having a mental health issue, uh, the guys wanted to say is the difference is to what degree do you still have a sense of your own self and your autonomy? And by autonomy, we mean your ability to make choices of how you're meeting the moment rather than react. It's not either or, it's percentages, right? It's mm-hmm. to the degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Degrees of when I'm perceptive, when I'm perceptive, like I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm looking at some of the guides that are sitting with us here, but I'm aware that not everybody's going to be able to see or believe that there are some non-physical beings sitting here too. And I can, I haven't lost my sense of relating to other people. If I'm sitting with someone who doesn't, who this doesn't work for, I can adjust my language and my communication. I'm not so lost that I can't relate to another human who's in a different place. Ground back in. What's what's coming up for me as you describe that is... Probably we could allude to the conversation on boundaries, right? I think by stigmatizing and pathologizing these extrasensory 
quote unquote mystical experiences that humans spiritually have access to, we learn to create walls. And whenever you're talking about boundaries, a wall is not a good thing. You think a wall is keeping others out, but it's also keeping you in. That's not a healthy boundary either. Also having no boundaries and letting everything in indiscriminately losing your needs and your sense of grounding that's not good either. The happy place is somewhere in the middle. And so I think, you know, with this conversation, what we are inviting is an opening to questioning our society's tendency to have walls. And so then the only thing that exists is boundary. You you know, it's like, do we either have two options? Either you have walls and none of this exists beyond what we can see, or you're boundaryless and you're just going to get lost in it. Or can there be a middle ground to when people start opening up to these extrasensory experiences and higher guidance, can we help guide each other and have safe containers so that each individual can identify what the right boundaries is for each and every single one of them so that they can continue to bring forth that higher information to help them navigate and bring forth higher wisdom while being the human that they are. And that's going to be an individual choice and experience for each individual person. Yeah, we are social beings. And so part of what makes safety and stability for us, and also part of the sharing of wisdom and accessing of wisdom comes from other people, right? If I'm upset about something and I'm kind of blocked, but you, my friend, say just the perfect words that I needed to hear, right? If guidance is channeling through you to come to me, like we need each other in this way, there is a tremendous power of connectivity between humans. But if we're in an environment that's either toxic to us or it's imposing on the individual or it doesn't make allowances for differences of beliefs of experiences, different really of experiences, differences of that I could be having a mystical experience and you could just be driving the car, right? <laughs> and the, the world's big enough for all of that. We need each, there's so much power between us as social, as beings who are constructed to have social connection, that when those social connections are misused, they do us great harm, like pathologizing the mystical experience. That does us great harm. That's very damaging when someone's opening up like that to in that moment that they're opening up so that they're most receptive to say, ooh, you are broken. That is the new thing. This is so, so important because as we've been, I've been letting everyone in on my mystical experiences on this podcast. And Paula and I were texting the other day. She just got certified in, um, what is it? There is no, I'm not, I didn't get certified, but I took a a course through um, Psychedelics Today, which is an amazing organization that's doing a lot of work educating um, both clinicians and everyday people on all of the research and clinical trials and everything that's currently happening in terms of bringing forth psychedelics into the mental health arena. And so she sent me an article about is it is it spiritual emergence or psychosis? And even just seeing that line, which I know it is not psychosis, right? Because I actually, what you said earlier, Grace, the definition of it, it not being a problem is that you have your, your autonomy. When I am in those moments where I literally feel like I have left my body that day, I know I have the autonomy of grounding myself. I know, okay, 
nothing is going to be that easy today in the human world. So let me just be as still and surrendered as possible. So, but when Paula sent me that and I saw that headliner, is it psychosis? I was like, oh. <laughs> she texted me back. She texted me. She's like, it better not be the second one. <laughs> yeah. Cause I just, I'm like that day, actually, when you, when all three of us first talked was one of the days where I was floating in the ethers and I, it is really scary to operate in a world that is linear when your brain has tapped into, uh, is tapping into other dimensions and you're not really existing on this plane. Only and for that. Because you are. Oh, only, only. Cause I, I was here. Yeah. But there are some days where the veil is so thin Yes. That I have to, and, and I'm so, this is something that's been really recent. So I'm really learning how to like harness all of and yes. navigate this, but it's incredibly scary to think I have to keep up a job. I have rent to pay. I like all these things come into your mind and you're like, and I'm over here seeing people's faces shapeshift and right. you know what I mean? It's just it's well, in, it, in traditional societies, in traditional cultures, there was always the elders and the guides and the people that have been through those initiation, those moments of initiation to help guide newborn initiates through this That's process, true. right? So like, Valentina, what you're experiencing is it's you're no longer living in walls as so many of us are. It's, it's you know, you, you call it thinning of the veil, but it's that membrane is opening up. And so it's, we didn't, nobody taught us that in school. So, you know, it's... Nope. It's the process of figuring out for for yourself and hopefully being able to talk to people like Grace or, you know, somehow I have intuitive knowledge into this stuff, which I'm still learning about myself and who I am. But to know, like, there's a way that you're going to be able to work with this and actually turn it into a gift. And the thing is, it already feels like a gift. But when I have to say it out loud to people who may or may not understand it, that's when it starts feeling like psychosis, right? Because when I lead breath work, and I speak to other people who are already open to this, it taps in completely. Grace, you said earlier when you're doing cranial sacrotherapy, it's like your guide speaks to their guide. Your spirit speaks to their spirit. That's how it is with me and breathwork. I've been able to tap in so deeply that I'm no longer navigating on this human plane when I'm doing breathwork sessions. Mm -hmm. And I hear... I hear hits that potentially they need to hear that comes through me. And, but then when it comes to, you have to like operate in this very linear society and, and go to work. I, I am so lucky that I have a boss that is, lives in the world that I do. I, mm -hmm. I messaged her and I was like, I am incapable of thinking linearly today. I got to just tap out for a little bit. And she's like, I get it. I get it. I get it. And that's the thing, you know, before we were talking about how, if you just start where you are, if you just start where you are and you, if you just in this moment make make a change, your life starts to. Uh, let me speak for me. I, I shouldn't speak for anybody else, but but I do see this with a lot of clients over the two decades I've been doing this. Life starts to change in these little increments, so that you down the road you are living in a town. I now live in a town where I can go sit in any coffee shop and talk about this. And nobody's going to look at me funny. You now work for a boss who gets it. That's part of the accumulating, that it accumulates and it changes a little, life changes a little, you accumulate a little bit more. Next thing you know, you're living with a better roommate, one more suited to where you're at, or you're, you're in a better job, one that's more suited. You can be more 
forward with how things are going. And I would really like to see that we have, I, I, well, I honestly think we're making the change and even us three sitting here are part of the change of stigma, period. We are part of the new world coming in that says stigma is foolish. It's foolishness. It limits the giftedness of each individual. Stigma is a silly game. I have a son who has who's on the autism spectrum, so there's a lot of stigma about neurodiversity. I personally am a walking mystic, and there's a lot of stigma about about that. Certainly with mental health, of course. I was laughing with a client the other day, and she's like, it's easier, you know, if I tell people I have GI problems, gastrointestinal problems, nobody gives me a funny look. But if I tell them I'm having a bout with depression, then, oh, all the, all the, all the energy starts to come. There's no need for all of that. But we can start with ourselves, and we can start with each other. Maybe not everybody, but who's the one person in your life that you can just say, ooh, I'm having one of those days. I'm having, I'm having an ethers day. <laughs> okay, yeah. Soon we'll have that um, built into our pay time off uh, work structure. This is this is your this is your Thursday Thursday mental health day. So I I have to ask this. I have to ask, and I know Grace. Thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. First oh my God, of all, I've been doing it so much. You're a literal <laughs> angel on this earth. I I have to ask because I I promised our listeners that when we would talk to you, I would ask this and for my own is like, why am I seeing people shape shift? Well, what even is that? Or their faces, not their whole body. That would be nuts, Uh, but I'm open to it. I'm open to it, but just their faces. Why, why is that happening? I mean, do you have any knowledge on this? Has this happened to you? Have you heard of this? Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, here's the thing, like we stumble into something new that seems so far out And actually, it's such a normal thing. You get into any kind of shamanic work and the shamans are going to be like, oh, yeah, (laughs) of course you are. Is it happening all the time or in particular situations? No, it happened once so far. And I was having a conversation with with someone who is a very open human as well. And there was a moment where their face started literally going from like a tiger to a shaman tribesman to a tiger. And I was just staring like, I mean, it was, there was no mistaking what was happening. And I don't know, mate, like, is that past lives? Is that? It can be past lives because sometimes we, well, I shouldn't say sometimes pretty common to have what we call past life bleed through where something in the current life, Something happening in this current incarnation is similar to something that happened in a different incarnation. And so there's sort of a, the, the, the matching energy calls the experiences into the same moment. So sometimes you do see, you can see something like that. I think as I tune into it, it feels like you were seeing aspects of this person maybe some aspects that she's currently strengthening. So they're kind of like out to play right now. I wouldn't be surprised if there's things going on in her life that are, you know, maybe she's needing to be whatever tiger signifies for her. We all have personal vocabulary with these things, you know, so whatever that is, 
uh, could be, you know, tigers are camouflaged, tigers are powered, tigers are roaring, tigers are um, feline, like many layers there. And shaman, like it's, it's as I feel into the energy of it. And what I'm doing as I do that is I'm, I'm feeling those vibrational patterns. I have a very high developed, oh, you might say vocabulary, <laughs> high vibrational vocabulary. So I can f use my experiential intelligence to like feel those vibrational waves and say, ah, that is, that is like this in my internal vocabulary library. It, it, that's what it feels like. Like she's, she's there, she's kind of flexing new muscles. So they're, so they're showing up. Grace, more. you know where the plot thickens around this a little bit <laughs> is that uh, a couple of weeks before she had this experience, I had a very vivid dream. And that's how a lot of messages come to me sometimes is through dreams mm -hmm. yeah. um, or like I'll have a dream and then things actually happen. And yeah. I had a really vivid dream that I was in this room and suddenly I looked over at this tapestry and I saw this shaman man on the tapest on the tapestry, but he was there. He wasn't just in the tapestry. He was also there. Yeah. And then as I panned down visually in my dream, I saw his teeth and they were uh, sharpened like a tiger. <laughs> you knew what I was going to say? And then yeah. as soon as I saw that, where I was kind of like taken back, a tiger mm -hmm. popped up behind him and like roared. I wasn't scared, but it was a very, oof, you know, strong experience. And then I woke up and that day I woke up and I was like, where's Leah, my cat at that time? Because mm -hmm. she had been sick. And like, I just woke up with that sense kind of um, shaken up from that dream. And I'm like, where's Leah? And that's when I found her in the closet and she died that day. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so then when Valentina told me she saw this a couple of weeks later, we're like, is it that person? <laughs> the tigers and the shaman. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, life gets really interesting once you start expanding, once you once the mind is no longer brain itself, our cognizant mind, once the cognizant mind is no longer restricted to the visual. When we say physical reality, we're really talking about the visual, right? What we can see, we tend to call physical reality. If we can't see it, we don't call it physical, right? When we're really talking about on the electromagnetic spectrum, visual spectrum is such a narrow little zone. I don't remember the particular hertz to hertz, but it's a very narrow, you know, and and in that zone we get the we get the colors of the rainbow and we have everything we can see but fish can see outside that spectrum there are things that are physical to fish that we can't see and therefore we call not physical hummingbirds can see outside that spectrum so there are things that are physical to hummingbirds that are not we don't consider physical because we can't see it our eyes don't our physical eyes don't pick it up so I'm describing something that is in physics, right? Mm -hmm. The electromagnetic spectrum and the narrow range that is visible light. When our brains begin to gain the ability to understand there are things living outside that very narrow range, we begin to break the spell, that we begin to break the conditioning 
that we've all been brought up with to only experience the things that our physical eyes can see. But there's a lot of life that exists outside that narrow frequency. I realize not everybody's going to believe that, but it is my experience that once I broke the cognitive conditioning and was able to say, wait a minute, I'm seeing things, I'm seeing this guide or or like like you Valentina seen both of you had you saw something it was outside the conditioned little range of perception you were able to go outside of it and perceive but it still exists it's an existing thing and now the brain is cognit is able to cognify something beyond what it was conditioned to cognify there's kind of a precarious zone there because there are some mental health issues that are similar, right? <laughs> Seeing what is not physically there. And I think the difference is I'm still present. I'm still here. I haven't lost any sense of myself while I'm perceiving this thing. It can be a little shocking. It can give you, it can kind of make your nervous system go, ooh, what's, <laughs> what is that in the wall? What's going on there? I want to give the listeners like, you know, something they can hold on to. And I would say the thing that you hold on to is yourself and your truth. Even if the world can't reflect it back to you, there's someone in the world that can. There's here's three of us. We just met, but we're we are three people spread across the country. We're reflecting that this is a real experience. There's whole traditions around the world based on this. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. What keeps just coming up for me is just at the end of the day, not necessarily it's like, you know, I asked you, Grace, give me answers. But what's coming up for me is that I actually saw a documentary, by the way, talking about what us, we as humans can see and it showed that rainbow spectrum. It's like what we can see compared to what actually is. I mean, literally, we can see a grain of sand in like (laughs) so tiny, 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 tiny. So what's coming up is like if that is like scientifically proven, and and it is, then take the medical model with a grain of sand that's out here trying to diagnose you. Yes. Right? Right? It's like those two things are very, very competing. It's giving you, it's giving you, the medical model is giving you a fragment of it. We can work with that fragment significantly, but don't limit your understanding of yourself to that. That's, I think that's so important. I think, you know, it within that fragment if a part of me needs help, I want that help. Right. But, but I also want the help that comes in all the other parts of me too. Right. Just understand that the medical model is like one grocery store on the planet and you can go to a billion other ones. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like you're not just going to get everything from there. At the end of the day, just keep your mind completely open because what we see can be expanded. You can see a lot more than what you see right now. And that is what's really starting to happen with me with a lot of people. Actually, I feel like, especially right now in this time on the planet, because I weirdly heard two other people talking about seeing someone's faces shapeshift into tigers. I don't know what this tiger is. Krista from this is 30 or what is that podcast? This is 30, almost 30 something. She saw that too. She mentioned that the other day in a podcast. And I was like, do I need like, 
what uh, this this tiger is coming through for a lot of us but yes once again at the end of the day just keep your mind open to the fact that we literally can see a grain of sand in what there really is and the more that you can allow your imagination to roam and not see things as black and white and not immediately put walls up against this stuff you will be amazed at what is exposed to you and you will be amazed at the guidance that comes up ready to help you and yes and move you forward on your path. I find every time I ask, you know, I say, I'm ready. I want, I want it better. I want more and I want it better. And I put my feet, I put my feet on the ground and I pour myself in, you know, so it can come to me. I have to be here with me for it to come to me. That's a magnetic principle. But every time I do that, the next thing comes. I get to meet you too. Uh, you know, that perfect book falls off the shelf in the bookstore. That literally happened to me one day. And I think it happens to a lot of people. You, you, a book falls off the bookshelf, yeah. right? Like it, it happens. You, you end up standing in the coffee shop behind somebody and they mention something and you're like, what was that? And this goes back again to the creating your own reality thing where it's like is step one, be open to it, ask for it and call it in. Something I say almost every day is today I expect miracles. (laughs) That's just what we're going to do. And then you open yourself up for it. Be open and ask for what is good for you. What is it? What is in your highest good? What will bring harmony to your life? What will bring you more balance? What will bring you more of yourself? Not open, bring me anything because you'll get anything. Open to receive with the intention that it be good for you. That it's in alignment with the highest version of who you are. Yeah, that it it empower you, that it some piece of you to you. Yes. So the very last question that we have for you is, <laughs> okay, is da, 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 and this is what we ask all of our podcast guests is, okay. what is mental health? What does it mean for you today at this moment in your life? Mental health for me means that my human psyche level of myself is given what she needs while I'm going through this rapid spiritual expansion so that I'm in balance as a spirit and as a human, that I'm not stuck in the smallness of human life. And I'm not lost as a human. I'm not lost to the expansive spiritual territory that I might slip into, that I'm in a state of cohesiveness. Mental health for me really is a state of cohesiveness because I want that part of me that governs my emotional and social and psychological functioning. I want it in a good state. I want to be in a good, healthy human functioning. I want a roof over my head. I want good relationships. I want to be making good choices so that this human container is in the best cohesive state with my spirit so that I can be here and bring to light whatever I'm here to contribute in this big heaven on earth project that seems to be going on. For me, that's mental health. 
Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Grace. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for giving us so much of your energy, your spirit, your time. You're so generous and so beautiful. Thank you. Oh, thank you for saying that. I'm just so thrilled to get to talk to you too and and share whatever I can with your listeners and and whoever else we can reach and help the gifted come out of hiding. <laughs> yeah, which is all of us, literally all of us. All of us are so powerful. Thank you, Grace. <laughs> Bye. Okay, you guys, thank you so much for tuning into this amazing conversation with Grace. This was so powerful, such an amazing learning experience for both of us. And we're so happy you guys joined us for this journey. Re-listen to it and learn even more. I swear to God, I have I feel like I have four more times to listen and a billion new things to learn from Grace. She is a powerhouse. She has so much to teach us, so much to guide us through when it comes to this earthly 3D realm and in the ethers. So we love you so much, Grace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of yourself with us. If you guys want to get in touch with Grace, she is actually not on social media. You can reach her by going to her website, which we are going to put in our show notes. We love you guys with our whole souls. Thank you so much. Make sure to tune in every Monday at 6 a.m. EST and follow us on Instagram. Say hello. We love talking to you guys at Pretty Mental Official. Bueno, los queremos mucho. Los queremos mucho. And be, be kind, kind to, to yourselves. yourselves. Love you. Mwah. Bye.